Overnights with Martin Kellner. There is a place I'd give the world to see Where the music's softly playing And the rhythm's gently swaying Underneath the stars in a million bars Guitars are softly saying Mexico yeah, that's all we're going. We should actually probably have played uh, Frank Sinatra's uh, Brazil uh, before this spot because that's what we're talking about mainly. Uh, but we're off to Mexico to uh, our good friend John Bonfilio in Campeche. Uh, John, thanks uh, ever so much for joining us. Good evening, Martin. Yeah, loads going on in Brazil. Um, start with, I think it was last Sunday, wasn't it, uh, the inauguration of uh, the new president, Lula. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we, I think even go back a couple of days before that, because, of course, the, the whole extended week began with Pele passing away on Thursday. Mm. Then 24 hours later, Bolsonaro, the outgoing right wing authoritarian president, uh, president, gives his final teary address before heading off to uh, to the USA. So he doesn't have to attend the then Sunday investiture of uh, Lula da Silva, either, depending on your political perspective, Brazil's saviour or an indicted criminal. And then you've got Monday, uh, uh, Pelé's wake, and on Tuesday, his funeral, and then a whole series of stories which have, have emerged from there. Brazil is, hasn't been able to take a breath for the last week and a bit. Yeah, I mean, as far as the um, the handover of power from Bolsonaro to uh, Lula, I mean, there, w there were fears that there was going to be um, that Bolsonaro was going to dispute the election. It would be, you know, we'd have a, a similar sort of incident to the uh, Capitol riots of January the 6th and everything in the United States. But um Although he went out with uh, with bad grace, I suppose, and disappeared to the USA and didn't uh, attend uh, Lula's uh, inauguration, all that um, he's not, you know, as was it was feared he might try and disrupt uh, everything, but he's not, has he? He's he's uh, lost, and that's it. Yeah, I, th I think he's he he tried to make some noises behind the scenes, but he basically couldn't get any traction from his inner circle, so there wasn't really much much choice that he had. Certainly, I think one of the really fascinating things about this is that his supporters have been pushing him to contest the election more than he has or that he's been able to. And for sure, there's been sit-ins and roadblocks and, uh, and the like across the country. And there's been a couple of high-profile arrests of people with explosives and so on. But there was a great fear about what was taking place on Sunday to the extent that the famous 1952 Rolls-Royce, which is brought out at every investiture, is, is an open top. And uh, there was worries about uh, perhaps some assassination attempts or certainly destabilization, but none of that came to pass. The, the closest we got to any trouble, which ridiculously has made the international news, is the arrest of a man with a fish knife. Really? Right. Well, that's good that that went off with those. And uh, Lula did attend the uh, Pele wake, didn't he? I think I'm right in saying. He did. He did turn up um, in a very stark contrast to the absence of Brazil's finest footballers who, in, in a space in which there has been a whole uh, heap of national outpouring of love and grief and positivity, uh, the individuals that have come in for a whole load of stick 
are the Brazilian uh, footballers who very few of whom turned up um, to celebrate and mourn Pelé. Interestingly, not a single one of the 2002 World Cup winning side turned up and only one of the 1994 World Cup winning side was present. Uh, in particular, the footballer, the great Kaká, has been criticised because a couple of years ago he came out and said that the this current uh, generation of Brazilian footballers are so spoiled that they don't turn up, they, they, they don't give proper respect to those, to their antecedents, to their, uh, to their forebears, uh, but then he himself decided that he wasn't going to turn up to this. Uh, no. So that's certainly generated a lot of criticism in Brazil. Yeah, I should think it would have. I, I was watching the, uh, I might have mentioned this, I was watching the documentary about uh, Pele on uh, Netflix, I actually watched it again. Um, and I suppose when you look at his behaviour in 64, when the um, when the military coup happened and there was the, the military dictatorship um, uh, and the, there were sort of contemporary interviews that she showed on the, the documentary where Pele said, well, football goes on, doesn't affect me, I'll be fine, etc., etc. Um, there must be still some people, obviously an older generation who remember the military dictatorship, who would still harbour some ill feeling against Pele for the fact that he did, I suppose, um, if not consort with the uh, dictators, at least stayed fairly neutral. Yeah, I, I think so. I think that that generation would be a little bit torn as to what as to those events, because, of course, then Pele went on to be this hugely popular uh, figure that became a, a Brazilian emblem as well. So mm. whilst they would regard that behaviour as being in some ways problematic, then what took place later in terms of his, his fame and his glory, I think sort of uh, then shone a different light on, on him as a footballer and in terms of his behaviour. What, what I think is particularly interesting about that period of time is if we're looking at the 1960s, in which uh, uh, Pelé is a young man, um, and there's you know, a lot of stuff going on in the media these days about mistakes that, that young individuals and young men mm. make in particular and, and levels of forgiveness related to that. I think we also need to remember that Pele was um, Afro-Brazilian, that he came from a poor society and he's making his way in the world. And in many ways, I think he probably wouldn't, he, he by his own admission, wouldn't regard himself as being uh, part of the Brazilian establishment or somebody whose role it was to do anything other than just you know, quietly exist and continue with his own life. Certainly at that point, I mean, maybe you could argue uh, the contrary if it was in the 90s or the, or the 2000s, mm. but for a young Pele, for a young black Pele in the 60s, I don't see that there was any other option open to him. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure you. I'm sure you're right on that, John. Um, continuing on Brazil, uh, tell me about the the case of the uh, New York Republican fraudster George Santos um, I, and that story. I love how early on in the year, almost every year, we have a contender for a story of the year, and this is one of those. The levels of hubris. Almost a classic definition of hubris where you know, an individual is brought down by their own self-assurance and conceit. So uh, George Santos is the first openly gay Republican to be elected to the House of Representatives. But it's been all over the international press over the course of the last couple of weeks because he fundamentally lied about his his family, his roots, his CV, his history, his experience. But he's been elected as a politician to the 3rd District of New York. Now, where this fits into... 
Latin American news is that George Santos is Brazilian. And it turns out that in 2008, he stole a checkbook and used it to illegally buy clothes. And he was also accused of embezzlement in 2011. But then uh, he disappeared for a 10-year period from Brazil, and nobody quite knew where he went, so the charges disappeared. But because of his elevation to this new political status uh, and the lies that he told in the USA, uh, it's caught the attention of the police and the judiciary in Brazil. So they have reinstated uh, charges against him and have uh, sent letters to, uh, to the US for him to answer for, for those historic charges. So uh, there is there, George Santos is in some degree of trouble, not just in the USA, but also in Brazil. Interestingly, he has come uh, on to national media in the US to admit the fact that he did not uh, run the Pets United charity or that he saved the lives of 2,500 dogs and cats, strangely. He also, interestingly, said that his mother died on 9-11, but she didn't. She died in 2016, and a whole host of other things, to which he said, which I think is a phrase which... Uh, uh, will rival Bill Clinton's, depends on your definition of if is, uh, he, he admitted that he made some mistakes and then left it there. Yeah, I, it's interesting you use the word hubris. Um, and, you know, he thinks he's sort of untouchable. We've, um, we've had a documentary on, well, a documentary and a drama on TV in the UK about John Stonehouse, who was the MP who faked his own death. Uh, off Miami Beach and then turned up in uh, Melbourne and he obviously um, like this uh, like this chap uh, Santos uh, thought he could get away with anything um, and then there's the case of uh, the current case of Andrew Tate uh, this influencer TikTok guy um, who's wanted by the police and uh, made this video with um, with pizza boxes in the actual shot from uh, a pizza place in Romania, which has tipped the police off that that's exactly where he was, and then he, he got arrested. So sometimes, as you say, hubris is probably the word, and you're probably the only man to use the word hubris on uh, talk sport all day <laughs> today. So, so well done. Um, tell me about Luis Suarez. Um, what, what's uh, what's the latest on him? He's moved on. He was at Nacional in Uruguay. Obviously, he was at uh, Liverpool, then Barcelona for six years, then uh, Atletico Madrid for a couple of years. And then um, in this massive high-profile move, moved to Nacional in Uruguay prior to the World Cup so he could get fit and ready for uh, the, the tournament. But that was always going to be a, a temporary stop-off. And he's now, perhaps a little surprisingly, been unveiled at Gremio, this Brazilian club, which to my mind sort of resembles Spurs a little bit because it's a long storied tradition at the club uh, with very notable occasional successes, but in cup competitions, um, mm. founded in 1903, interestingly co-founded in 1903 uh, by an Englishman, Andy Fairbank, set up in the uh, port city of Porto Alegre in, uh, in Brazil. And he was unveiled a couple of days ago to... Uh, a really electric atmosphere at the stadium where over 30,000 fans uh, turned up to, to receive him. I think what's interesting about this is, especially if you look at the recent context in which Ronaldo has gone to Saudi Arabia, it sort of reveals something we've always known about Suarez, um, that really his heart beats to a slightly 
different drum. Yeah, for sure, he's interested in, in money, but he's also been much more emotionally driven by who he is and his country and the clubs that he wants to play for since uh, since forever. And this is an unusual... I mean, for him, even at the age of 36, for him to go into Brazilian top league football is still an unusual uh, choice. And mm. he said that actually it was Messi's recommendation for him to go there. Of course, he's close to home in Uruguay and so on, but certainly still, it's like he, he wants to make a, a footballing difference in Latin America, in the countries that he is close to, over making top dollar wherever he can go. Yeah, interesting. Um, as always, John, thank you ever so much for that. I'm sure we'll um, we'll join up with you again next week and get some more news from uh, uh, Latin America. Uh, but for the time being, thanks ever so much, John. Take care. There we go, uh, John Bonfilio joining us from Campeche in Mexico.